how we see Jesus respond to uncertainty is he actually sees it as an essential classroom, if you will, of learning that the power that God gives us in this new life with Christ is not for us to manage outcomes. It's not for us to save ourselves, but it's there to have an awakened heart that God is with us no matter the circumstances. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a ministry of our church, and we're praying it's useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. Today's sermon is from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wanted to spend some time with you and the word today. Uh, it's a it's a interesting text to come out of Luke chapter four verse one, but I wanted you to see where Jesus intentionally moved into a wilderness. In fact, was led by the Spirit into unsettled, uncertain times. I think he went into the wilderness not knowing outcomes, but he went in there holding on to presence, uh, the presence of God in his life. I just want us to take a look at that. Uh, and I've got, I think, three or four uh, vignettes of the life of Jesus, as one of them would be going into wilderness, but where we see in his own living faithfully through uncertainty, uh, where we see him giving us steps and guidelines so that as we now are his body uh, alive and at work, Oh, we've got him in our minds and our hearts, stabilizing what's going on for us. So that's the direction we're going. Um, I think I would like to start by doing almost the obvious, but not being afraid of the emotions of uncertainty. It's really out of control at a scale we've never seen it before. What's out of control? Well, our ability to be certain, um, knowing what's next, knowing how long we're going to be shelter in place, uh, knowing where this pandemic peaks. Uh, we don't know who all will be affected. We don't know the economy that will be what we then inherit as we step back into commerce and our work. Some of you have serious plans that have been put on hold, disruption, um, because we just, we can't know. And why I'm spending time at the beginning, just stating some of the obvious, but trying to state it at a level of letting us be there in our own emotions is because one of the ways we see Jesus responding to the uncertainty of his time was he just showed up in it. 
And he didn't have the kind of faith that minimized what people were feeling. Never once did he ask somebody to put their feelings away. In fact, he, he seemed to lean into where people were really sensing and feeling their lives. Even how their emotions were coming up through their five senses, people weeping, people worrying, people not feeling good in their bodies. He, he didn't tend to dismiss that with kind of a higher faith that said, now, 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 let's, let's not worry about that. He moved the opposite. He really paid attention and he validated the emotions of people that he ministered to. I mean, he started there. He didn't ask him to dry it up, put it away, get over it. After all, he had the power to heal. He really invited the emotional intelligence of what it means to be a human being experiencing life as it's given to us. And if there was a wisdom that he showed us in how we respond to the uncertainty of our day, it's that he tells us that these emotions aren't going to drown us. We can feel them without fear that they'll just be too much. For there is kind of a weak theology that quickly dismisses what people feel in order to bring them to what God can do. Well, what God can do according to Jesus is to let you really feel things. And until we learn to enter into the emotions that come with humans, uh, we're not seeing all that Jesus has opened up for us to see. It's crazy to feel uncertainty and to yet know that there's an abiding peace deeper yet. It's not like one has to cancel the other. Let me say it like this as well. Jesus came to a group of people who had some great data about God. Uh, by that I mean the Hebrews of Jesus' day, the Jews, uh, in small villages had synagogues, they had teachers, they knew the Torah, and they knew a life that had a lot of uh, God knowledge in the sense of the Ten Commandments, the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The theology, if you will, given the data that the Jews knew of Jesus was clear. Every little kid knew it in a Jewish home and they all practice it by lifestyle. What Jesus came to do is he came and he took so much of what they knew as the data and the theology of God. And he showed them a life that was actually formed into harmony and alignment with it. It's like he wore it in his emotions and in his thoughts, his responses. Um, we would say that he took those words of God and he incarnated them. He, he literally showed them in a human form. It's so interesting, sometimes in our own lives, we have a lot of good data about God and we even have the right theology. And then life comes along with something that disrupts or it shakes, or it makes some uncertainty creep into what it is we know we believe. I mean, I still believe the Bible, but I have these feelings now, uh, and I shouldn't have them if I, in fact, believe what the Bible says about God. And we can split right there. 
or like my earlier point, or we can choose to believe the Bible, but we do it in such a way that we, we cap our own emotional intelligence. And that's not the healthy path of what we see in Jesus. In fact, Jesus takes the data of God and he shows people that in the uncertainty of their day, they move into not just knowing the data, but they actually begin the formation of walking with God, of abiding in God, even in the midst of uncertainty. And then when that happens, there's a new kind of maturity of our lives in which we see Jesus living his own humanity, where we don't have to put away uncertainty, but we can still walk in a confidence. Trying to put that together in a, in a paradoxical way, it's, it's actually honest of us to show up as we are uncertain and uh, knowing that we don't have control. And at the same time, understanding that that's where God begins to meet us, shape us, form us in ways that literally bring Jesus more alive and alongside of us. That's the big picture. Uh, who are you, Jesus, in uncertainty? Uh, who am I and who are you now as we move into a time of uncertainty? And we see from Jesus that we show up in it and we let our data of God meet sometimes some of the hidden, more emotional parts of our lives. That's a good place to be. That's a very formational place to be. Let me offer another picture of how Jesus responds to uncertainty, and it comes from our text. He literally moves into the wilderness. He's directed by God's Spirit to go into a wildness, into an intentional place where he will not be able to control the outcomes. Think for a moment, when Jesus as a young rabbi goes into the wilderness, what does he expect of that time? I mean, does he know it's going to be 40 days? Does he have that marked on his, on his calendar? Hey, I got to hang out here for 40 days. Does he, does he know what's going to happen? Is he in control? And I, I think we can make the case that he goes there to actually take his faith, his belovedness, and go into something now that is not under his control. And in fact, the whole trial, the whole intention of the wilderness is for him not to use his spiritual power with God to control or to save his own life. I mean, he's actually seeking out uncertainty to be the classroom for a deeper walk, trust, communion with God. I'm thinking that if we ask Jesus later in his ministry years, could he be all the rabbi and teacher and healer that he became without having gone through the uncertainty of the wilderness? And I think he would say no. I mean, we so quickly want to rush him to the miraculous parts of his ministry, but he can't be there if he hasn't gone through the uncertainty of wilderness. Like how we see Jesus respond to uncertainty is he actually sees it as an essential classroom, if you will, 
of learning that the power that God gives us in this new life with Christ is not for us to manage outcomes. It's not for us to save ourselves. It's not for us to somehow think we have certainty, but it's there to have an awakened heart that God is with us no matter the circumstances. So I would just say in that quick vignette that Jesus has a directed time in uncertainty because that's where the formation of his own faith really gets grounded. So maybe our walk away from that vignette is, can you look on this time, not leaving the emotion uncertainty of it, but can we begin to see that it will be looked back upon as one of the most formational times of your life, your family, this community of faith that you all share. Another vignette is the first miracle. So I wanted to look at how Jesus responds to uncertainty even when he begins to move in times of, uh, of having the love and the compassion and the power to, to do miraculous acts. So I looked at the very first uh, miracle. And if you've been able to spend time following Jesus in the Gospels, you know the one I'm talking about. It's this young couple who's having a wedding in Cana. And Cana is not too far from Nazareth. And we know that uh, Mary, Jesus's mother, must have known this couple because she's involved in some of the preparation and the hospitality of what is important in the hospitality of the Middle East. You, you get on these weddings months ahead. You make sure you have everything you need because the whole village is going to show up, as they should. And uh, if you're familiar with that setting, you realize that in the actual wedding, they run out of wine, which is a huge embarrassment. Uh, for the host family. Uh, and so there it's Mary that turns to Jesus and says, hey, you're here and you can help them. Now that's interesting that Jesus has to be called out to do his first miracle. So we just pause. We notice that Mary had some maturity there. She actually was teaching maybe Jesus at least opening his eyes to the fact that it's in the uncertainty that he can begin to see what his power is good for. I mean, you would think the power isn't getting enough wine in preparation, but in fact, the power is actually good for when you don't know what to do and your plans have failed. I mean, weddings, if you describe them, they are where we make our best laid plans, where we have our most arranged minds at work. It's where we do all the preparation that's necessary and we have huge expectations. I mean, that's what it should look like. And yet Jesus is teaching us and letting us see that in this vignette, that his power is actually paired with uncertainty. So he's showing us how to look and see that when things begin to grow uncertain, we should start to look for the activity that comes from knowing that God's presence is with us. It's a different way to walk in the world. He waited to show his power for the interruption of uncertain times. It's like he had the power before, but 
he didn't have it activated until uncertainty was paired with it. So I'm kind of wondering what wonderful, empowering way God is going to show up in your life. Because there's something of Christ within you that has yet to even be called upon, that this uncertainty is going to call it out of you. That you're going to see it's not the best laid plans, but it's actually this environment of uncertainty that will bring more of Christ alive in you, like Jesus found more of Christ coming alive in him. And it pairs itself with uncertainty. I just want to give you eyes to see that. I want you to look in uncertainty through these eyes of Christ. All right, let's move to, let's move to two others, and I'll, and I'll be quick. We keep following Jesus, and how does he respond to uncertainty? The biggest scale of a miracle was the feeding of the 5,000. And here we see uh, Jesus teaching until the day was spent and the people hadn't really prepared to be out that late with him. And the disciples come near the end of the day saying, hey, we've, we've got a crisis on our hands. It's like a, a Woodstock. Uh, we don't have public services out here for all these people and they've stayed too long and now we don't have enough food. And there's a real problem going on. And Jesus just in so many words says, well, give them something to eat. That's what he says to his disciples. And of course, they're scratching their heads saying, well, that's why we came to you. And Jesus then says, well, what do we have? And after looking over the crowd, they've got one little boy with a lunch. And so Jesus says, well, let's start with what we do have. All I'm going to do here is quickly tie that reception of Jesus looking for what the crowd does have, not what it needs. And that's a different play. What do you have in an uncertain time? Not what you don't have that you're going to ask God for, but what do you have? It starts with that. Jesus takes this little boy's lunch, what is present, and that's what starts the economy of the kingdom. In uncertain times, we tend to wait until we have enough. But when we see Jesus respond to uncertainty, he focuses on what he does have. It's scarcity to abundancy in a mindset. It's, what do you have right now? Let's quit asking God for what we don't have. And let's start seeing what we do have. And in a little bit of that, as it is offered and shared, it starts the economy of the kingdom. It starts to flow. You have something. It's not enough. But given with compassion, it would be the flow of you realizing how God works with and through you to create the miracle. And you'll never be in control, but you can participate. And the last thing, the last menu is Jesus on the cross, ultimate self-offering. Now he's been saying, oh, for the last couple of months, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem and die. And on the third day, I'll be raised. But he's not experienced that yet. It's a data point. He believes it. But in this last minute, he actually goes into Jerusalem, what he knew 
in his head became true in his soul and his body. He was put on the cross. And in the Gospel of Luke, we have these two incredible quotes or sayings of Jesus in that time of what will be the outcome of this self-giving life. And one is, he says, uh, Father, why have you forsaken me? And that's always troubled us because we would never want to think there was a moment where there would be that prayer felt or uttered. And yet our master teacher, the son of God, gives us the right, gives us permission to say, let me tell you exactly how it feels right now. And those aren't his last words, but those are very real words. But they're followed by this phrase, and yet into your hands, I commend my spirit, Father. I guess we'd look at that and say, well, which one's right? You can't say them both. But you can. It almost goes back to where we started. There's going to be an emotional roller coaster, and you're going to be on it. It's going to feel like a lot of things you had well planned, a lot of control you thought you had, the data points of God that you knew in your head. It's going to feel like some of that's rattling. And we're not going to put that away or minimize or make light of that. We're going to also say, and yet here, and through these days and these weeks, we commend our lives and their living into your hands, O oh God. And so in that way, Jesus becomes really one who we can follow. I would say that whatever uh, we think of now that's been coming to your mind as I've been talking through these vignettes are maybe a place that you can spend some time later after the service today. Working with what resonated for you or what came to your mind while we looked at these scriptures. And what pictures of Jesus have been resonating with you? And how do you carry them into your own story? And my hunch is, if you're like me, there'll be some point of accepting those just by way of surrendering your own need to control your life or the life of others that you love because you can't. But you can participate in a life of love. You can validate the emotions. You can see the formation. You can be part of the pairing of uncertainty with something God is doing. You can offer something simple that you have. Today, you have permission to commend exactly where your spirit is into the hands of God. And as we do these things, we become near to God, because he's near to the brokenhearted. We become near to one another, and we become salt and light for the world. So let me say a word of prayer with us. Loving God, thank you that in your heart and in your mind, you hold us close. That's where we are. 
are located in your hands. They are cupped around us. They don't suffocate us. You've lowered us into the world. It's full of things that we are not asked to control and yet being human, we so want to know how to get through stuff, how to work, change, what to do now. Calm our hearts, calm our minds. As we rest inside your hands, work and form and shape who we are truly to you as you accompany us through this time of uncertainty. Let what we've read and what we believe become what we experience now of your peace that passes our understanding. And let us be your salt and light in the name of Jesus for our world. Amen. Amen. Well, I know after the word, often the liturgy moves into the Eucharist. And uh, by Zoom, uh, we're not able to distribute that. But I do know that the physical reality of the sacrament, the actual bread and the actual cup were physical means that were to move inwardly to where you would actually sense that you'd been nourished by Christ. It's mystical. A sacrament is an outward expression of an inward reality. So there are several ways of taking external means to be moved inwardly into union with God. You can hold one hand with the other and let one hand be the representation of God and the other, your life. And that alone can begin to bring this sensation of what it means to have an outward form bring an inward reality. Or you can look around the room you're sitting in and find your favorite thing. Is it flowers? Is it a color? Is it something that was made for you? And there it is physically expressing itself, but inwardly you can see it again as the way God is presenting God's own spirit to you, fresh and new. Whatever it is that's in your physical domain right now, put your eye on it. See God in it. Let God come to you. Thank you, Lord. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyteriansf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.